0: I'm a huge fan of the television show The Office. Anybody else out there? Okay, so we got some, some Dundies out there and uh, some people who are interested in that, hopefully. Uh, so, hopefully, it doesn't go over your head if you're not familiar with it. It's a television show about an office, and uh, <laughs> hence the name The Office. And uh, and actually, uh, whenever I was a college student, that's whenever it aired. And so I love how all our college friends would get together and relate about how we'd never worked in an office in our lives, uh, and yet somehow we loved that show. And uh, and actually, I heard something crazy that last year it was streamed for like so many millions of hours. That there, there's more Office fans today than whenever it first aired, uh, which is kind of an insane thing to think about. And so. Uh, one of the things that I love about the show is just all the characters and how there's a fly flying around and and uh, and <laughs> it loves to be near me. Okay, all right. Uh, so <laughs> that's uh that's fun. Okay, that'll be a good feature for the message. Just like a little icebreaker uh, for there. <laughs> One of the things I love about The Office is the, uh, just the characters and how sometimes they'll start it out in an episode, and maybe you're familiar with this one. It's one of my favorites where it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the episode, but it, it kind of is just a fun little bit that they do. And so the character of Jim one day comes in dressed as Dwight, okay? And so Jim is kind of the, he's the cool guy, right? You know, it's like everybody wants to be like Jim, and he comes dressed in as Dwight. Maybe in your office you have a Dwight, we all know who ours is in the BCC office. its I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but maybe you have someone like that who's maybe a little bit more difficult to deal with. And, uh, and so maybe it's just a little bit challenging sometimes to get along with that person. So Jim comes in, he's going to play a prank, and so he dresses up like Dwight. He's got the mustard-colored dress shirt and tie to match, and, and he's got his calculator wristwatch and his iconic glasses, and he's even combed his hair uh, to match what Dwight does. And he starts mimicking the things that Dwight talks about a lot, and, and at first, Dwight doesn't catch on, but then he, he starts to realize, and he shouts out, identity theft is not a joke, Jim, Right? <laughs> It's just kind of a big moment. And, and I think about you know identity theft. It's kind of a serious thing, right? You, you ever uh, seen those commercials, LifeLock, and all that kind of stuff? And I, I heard a statistic that 47% of Americans last year, in 2020, experienced financial identity theft. Crazy, right? I'm no math wizard, but that's like half, almost, give or take, <laughs> of, of the country. Uh, And so it's just kind of crazy to think about that, that that uh, that that many people experience that. And so a lot of times you think, okay, so people are trying to sell you identity protection, all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing that we need to understand. Whenever it comes to our spiritual identity. You don't need to worry about supplemental uh, protection. Okay, we have been given the Holy Spirit. And God's word is very clear about this. There are several places in scriptures. I'll reference them for you here, but you can look them up yourself. It's 2 Corinthians 1, 22, Ephesians 1, and uh, Ephesians 4. It talks about how we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that we don't have to, to struggle to worry about, oh, are, are we protected? Is our identity safe? No one can snatch you from the palm of God's hand. You're safe in that way. But unfortunately, many believers, instead of suffering from identity theft, they suffer from identity left, meaning that they leave their identity behind or forget about their identity or the things of this world get in the way and somehow we lose focus and we abandon our identity in Christ. And if you just think about it for a second, it, it, there's clues that might point you into this. And so think of how you might introduce yourself. If you were to say, hi, I'm so-and-so, and you, you shake somebody's hand, you might say what you do for a living, right? Or, or you might say something that you're good at. Like maybe, you, you, maybe you're really talented, like you play the fiddle, or I, I don't know what you play, but like you, you do something, and you're, this is what I want to be known for. And so you say that's what you do. And a lot of times we do that because we're trying to ascribe value, Right? We're trying to, to give them a clue as to why we're valuable and, and, and why we're important enough to, to be a friend with them. But I'm so thankful that our identity in Christ is not based on what we do. Because if our identity was based on what we do, well, it's not a pretty picture, right? I mean, it, you could have the word sinner, You could have the word failure. You could have the word broken. God doesn't define your value, though, based on what you do, rather on what he's done for you. I want to say that again. God doesn't define your value based on what you do or what you've done. He defines your value based on what Christ did for us on the cross, and we see the evidence of that in Scripture, right? You see in Romans 5, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that, that means while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. What an incredible thing to hear this morning. Christ died for you. And I, I think the question that we often ask, we think about who we are based on what we do, our position, any kind of authority that we think we have. But the real question isn't who we are, it's whose we are, that we belong to Christ. And there's lots of incredible scriptures that tell us a little bit about this identity. I want to share them with you this morning before we get to our main text. The first is Philippians 3. It says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And I love this one, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And that word excellencies, to declare the excellencies, that's a, that's a fancy word for praises, right? To worship God. And I've talked a lot about that over the years of of how it's it's our goal and it's our desire that we worship God, meaning aim our adoration, our affection for who this God is that we, we sing to and that we worship and we live our lives for. And it's a beautiful picture. You think about it. Our citizenship isn't, we don't belong here on this earth. And it's not just that he's fixed us Right? He didn't just, like, mend the cracks of your broken life. It says that you're a new creation. You're brand new before God. And also, I mean, think about those titles, too, Chosen Race, Royal Priesthood. I mean, this is starting to sound pretty exciting, that this is who we are. We're these people who have been given a chance to point our lives for the purpose of praising the God who called us out of this darkness. And so devotion... Is our identity and that's our BCC big idea today devotion is our identity all throughout this series we've been talking about the core values of Betten North Christian Church what we should hold dear and this one is no different devotion is our identity our devotion to Christ should be the core of who we are because of who we belong to we belong to Christ And so devotion should be at the very core of our identity. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to Luke 15 today? Maybe you've got a digital Bible. Maybe you like the analog version of the Bible, as I like to refer to it. Uh, And you like to feel those pages turn. Either way, turn to Luke 15 because we're going to be camping out there. And this is one of my favorite sections of Scripture. Because what you have is Jesus teaching before a crowd that is a very diverse audience, and so what you have is on one side you have this religious elite group. Okay, these people who are called the Pharisees, the the ones who who are the spiritual leaders of that time. And I think a lot of times we we hear the word Pharisee and we feel like it's Lion King. It's like Mufasa. Ooh, say it again, Mufasa. Right? I mean, it's the the Lion King is you know a good I- example of that. But really, the Pharisees were to be looked up to, I mean, the, these were the spiritual leaders. These were the, the people that you'd base your example. If you want to see someone who's devoted, it'd be a Pharisee. And we obviously we know that they didn't uh, pan out great in their relationship to Jesus. But we also have this other group who's in this crowd, and it's the te- it's the people who are sinners. And it says even one step lower than a sinner, it's a tax collectors and sinners. And we can't relate to that at all today. So uh, we think about this diverse group and we think, well, how is Jesus going to address this group? And the reality is they have the same question for Jesus. They want to know, Jesus, what's the father like? I mean, what's this kingdom going to be like? How are all of us and all of them, how how are we going to get along in this, what's the father like? And so Jesus shares these examples, he shares parables of how to teach them about how the father views the lost and, and the broken. And so he shares the story of the the, the shepherd who, who leaves the 99, right? And he goes and he finds the one sheep and he brings it back and he celebrates that. There's the story of the woman who lost the coin. Right, And she she cleans her whole house, and then she ends up doing what with that coin? Spending it on a party. It's just kind of a crazy story. But what he's talking about is how Jesus values those people who are lost, that God values those people who are lost. The Father seeks them. And then he shares this iconic story. That's what we're going to be reading through today, is the story of the prodigal sons. And you didn't hear me wrong. It's sons. All right? It's both of them. Because what you're going to see is that one son, he had a, a problem and he was wayward and he was very forthcoming about it. But the other son was just as wayward. He just hid it a lot longer. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read starting in verse 11. So if you've got it, let's read that out. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now just pause for a second because I want to make sure we understand what has just been said. And I know this is a parable. This is just a story that Jesus is telling in order to make a point about who the Father is. But just put yourself in the story for a moment because it's, it's absurd what has just been said. The younger son said to his father, essentially Dad, I don't know if I can wait around for you to die before I get my inheritance. So could you just like split it up now and send me on my way? What a terrible thing to say to a father, right? I mean, this, this, is, this should be heartbreaking. This should be terrible. And I think every single one of those people in the room, all the, the religious elite, all the tax collectors and sinners, they were all shaking their heads. Man, who is this son? What's up with that? But then the shocking thing happens. What does the father do? Okay. He divides it up. He gives it to him. I mean, this, this is like, whoa, what's happening here? And I think everyone's a little bit, who is this father? What's he like? So let's continue. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Another pause for a second. And this is the story being told to a strict Jewish audience. And whether or not you are a religious elite or you are a broken sinner, they all understood how wayward this son had fallen. The uncleanliness of being someone who takes care of pigs. And even to the low point of they they long to feed themselves with the pods that the pigs were eating. And this is... This is painting a picture that is disgusting. And if you're not disgusted by it, just, just think about that for a moment. This is, this is a terrible thing. And some of the people in the room might have been thinking, well, good, this, this younger son deserves it, right? I mean, have you been there before? You think about, well, they got what, they were, what was coming to them. And so that's, that's what this is going on in this story. But he continues, and this is what he says in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I mean, he's hit rock bottom. I think he recognizes in this moment that even the lowest of his father's servants have it much better than he has it right now. And I know that this is just a parable. This is just a story that Jesus is telling in order to make a point about the father. But if you put yourself in that story, I I really believe that this younger son is sincere. Do you? I mean, he's sincere in this moment. He recognizes he has messed up. And he is humbled. And he made this plan, and he starts to rehearse his speech, right? You ever do that? Anybody else do that in the room? Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But whenever you have something that you want to talk to somebody about, and then you just start to rehearse it, it never goes like you rehearse it, too. It's it's such a a futile attempt at, like, trying to control the situation or put yourself at ease. But he just keeps playing it back in his head and he just starts thinking, okay, you know, I, I don't even deserve to be your son. I don't even need to be called your son. Just don't even make a big fuss. I'll just, I'll just be one of your servants. I can be the lowest of the lowest of your servants. I just, just please take me back, Dad. He's rehearsing it over and over. Well, something unexpected is about to happen. Verse 20. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him And felt compassion. And he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said to the father, all the things he'd rehearsed, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat. Let's celebrate. For this son was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And now he's found. And they began to celebrate. There's a word that describes this. And I'm going to say the word. And I just want you to just kind of absorb it. All right? On your heart and on your soul. Grace. This is grace. Do you understand that? Grace means unmerited grace. Favor. It means not only do you not get what you deserve, but you receive blessing or honor instead of punishment. I mean, this is, this is an incredible picture. Grace. More on that in a minute. Because remember at the beginning of this text, I said there were how many sons? There were Two. There are two sons here that have a devotion problem. And so the parable continues. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And refused to go in. So his father came out to him and entreated him. And he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come, devouring your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The younger son wasn't devoted to his father So he left. The older son wasn't devoted to his father, even though he stayed. Both of these sons have an identity problem. Both of these sons have a devotion problem. And I think looking at this text, we need to figure out what path we're going to choose. Are we going to follow an example of one of these prodigal sons? Or are we going to be fully devoted people, people who trust in God? And here's what I want us to learn today. Every believer can be devoted by learning five truths from the prodigal sons. Every believer can be devoted. And I see five truths that we're going to learn from this text. So the first one, when you're devoted, your priorities align with God. When you're devoted, your priorities align with God. In our text, we see in verse 12, the younger said said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. He divided it between them. And then in verse 13, he squandered his property in reckless living. In verse 30, But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Both of these sons were selfish. Both had misaligned priorities with God. The younger son, I mean, he was at least more upfront about it, right? He he at least said it to the father's face. The older son, he sat and stewed on it and ate away at him. You can see how both of their priorities did not align with God. And I, I want you to ask this question of yourself today. Are your priorities aligned with God? Or is your life all about you? You know, last week, there was a men's retreat here. And Pastor Andy shared some incredible things about how you prioritize your life and, and your schedule. And, and it got me thinking about this because so often, since we do define our identity based on the things that we do, you know, we think about our career. And, and you know, to be a successful person in your career, it takes work, right? I mean, you know, just like, Fall into success in your field. No matter what field it is, you have to to put in the effort and and be a a person who makes priorities and and a goal and, and goes after that goal. But then at the same hand, we think about how many of us put that same attention to detail in the lives of our family? How many of us do that with our relationship with Christ? You know, you might make goals for your work. You might, you might make a, a to-do list of things. But do you do that same thing in your relationship with Christ? You know, hey, this is my goal. I want to memorize this book of the Bible. Or I want to really understand what it means to be compassionate towards people. Or, or I want to share my faith with 10 people this week. Whatever it might be, do you set goals for your relationship with Christ? Same thing with your children. I want to teach my kids about Jesus. Do you make a plan for that? Do you make priorities Because if you don't set those priorities and start making a plan to actually accomplish them, then you're not going to accomplish anything. I mean, you're just wandering through, hoping that something might stick here or there. So your priorities need to align with God. Do you prioritize your career over your family? Do you prioritize your talents over your relationship with Christ? You have to ask yourself that today. Second thing, when you're devoted, your foundation is... Is strong, So we see in verse 14, he had spent everything, and what happened? A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And when trouble came, the foundation of the younger son's life had shifted so much that he could not withstand the pressure. And when you're devoted to God, your foundation is based on Christ. The trouble will come. But you will remain strong because your identity isn't based on your circumstance. You're a child of the king. You know that God is with you, especially in the hard times. And just think about that. How many scriptures do you see? The Lord is near the brokenhearted. The Lord is, is near those who are mourning, those who are weeping. He is with you in those hard times. An identity of devotion and dependence on Christ... It's not an excuse from hardship. It's that in the hardship, you have a foundation. You have a rock. And so if you're fully devoted, your foundation is strong. And I have to be honest with you for a second. You know, Nevada was not the direction that Jill and I had in mind uh, when we thought about any of this. But I also would be honest with you to say that Iowa wasn't on the cards either in our choice. And we're two Florida kids that said we want to follow God wherever He might send us. Never really seen snow since I was a baby. (laughs) And we moved in February, almost eight years ago. (laughs) What in the world? But our foundation was in Christ. And there's incredible people that lifted us up and supported us. And I think about that Now in our life as we're on that way to Nevada, there are people there that want to support us. And the reality is you have that too. I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about you too. When you feel like you're at your end, if your foundation is in Christ, you will withstand. You have someone there and you have those people around you here today that want to love you too. The third thing that we understand is that when you're devoted, you don't compromise your values. You don't compromise your values. So we know your priorities align with God, your foundation is strong, and you don't compromise your values. Luke 15, uh, 15 and 16, it said, He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he longed to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. You know, there's a difference between making a mistake in a moment of weakness and violating your core values. I want want this to be very clear today. There's a difference between making a mistake in a moment and then beginning to violate your core values. Because when you do that, if you are on a path where you are choosing to compromise your core values as a follower of Christ that reflect your identity as a follower of Jesus, then you are on the path of destruction in your life. I mean, think about marriages that crumble. It happens when you start to make those little shifts in your core value, where you say and you do things that you agreed never to do and you start making excuses for those things and moving further and further until one day you look back and you you don't even care anymore. You're out the door. And I know what it's like, right? I mean, I know people have these things and they say, okay, well, they're not meeting my needs, okay? They're not supporting me. I need more support and this person... They care about me. You know, they just want to be a good friend to me. It doesn't, I, it doesn't, I didn't even, it didn't even matter that they were of the opposite sex. They just, they, they're meeting this need. Maybe it's your spouse doesn't support you enough, or, or maybe, uh, your coworker is is they're there for you and they're they're willing to hear, and your spouse doesn't listen to you, and, and you just want to be heard, or or maybe you know what, I deserve to be happy. Don't I? They're not making me happy, and this person makes me happy. So that that's it's okay. It's right, it's justified. The younger son compromised things that he held dear his entire life. But he didn't set out from home with on his to-do list working a pigsty that wasn't on the list right i mean he left and yeah there were some pretty not cool things on the list of very selfish attitude but it was all about him being awesome he wanted to be the best he wanted to be the the biggest star or whatever it might be he just wanted to be amazing he wanted people to adore him He did not have anywhere on his radar. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go work in the field and long to fill my stomach with the slop. That wasn't even on his radar. And the reality is, you might not wake up tomorrow in the hopes of destroying your marriage. You might not wake up tomorrow uh, in the hopes of ruining your life because of an addiction. But when you make choices that compromise your core values... You're flirting with disaster and you're taking small steps along that path. The fourth thing that we learn, when you're devoted, God is enough for you. God is enough. Verse 31 in our text, and the father said to him, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. You know, the tragedy of the older brother is sobering. How many of us are like that older son? We're so concerned with ourselves, with our standing, with our preferences, that church becomes about us. That church should be designed for me, it should be about my preferences. About my desires, my wants. It should be the songs I like. It should be it should be the, the style of music. I, it should be the chairs I like. It should be the pastors I like. It should be the pastor's shoes that I like, right? I mean, we we think about all these different things and we start to 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 soak in them. And I want you to understand that when devotion is your identity, none of that matters. It doesn't matter. He doesn't hold on to anything. The father's response is so telling to that son's heart. He says, Son, you're, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. In other words, son, you're with me. Isn't that enough? Isn't it enough? For some of us, sadly, We don't think that God is enough. And maybe that's a question that you need to ask yourself today. Is God enough for me? Because maybe your life needs to reflect a little bit more like Paul, right? Because Paul said, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them and its blessings. It wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about his comfort. It wasn't about his preferences. It was about God and the gospel. Is God enough for you that you would be willing to be uncomfortable to follow him? that you would be willing to put yourself at risk to follow him. The fourth thing, the fifth thing that we learn, the final thing, when you're devoted, your story can change. Your story can change. Because maybe you're asking yourself some of these hard questions today and you're thinking, I don't know if... I'm that kind of devoted. Well, friends, your story can change. In Luke 15, verse 18, that younger son said, I will arise and I will go to my father. The light bulb went off, right? The younger son sat in the muck of his poor choices and he made the decision to come back. He began the journey home. And the thing is this is just a story, right? I mean, it says it was a far country. We don't know how sizable the inheritance was. It reads in the span of a verse or two. This could have been months. This could have been years that he wasted and spent and destroyed his life. But the difference between him and you is when he set out, he said he made that long journey back, but when you say God, I want to live for you. He is right there. He can hear you today. Your story can change today. You don't have to set off on a long journey. Who knows how long that took? Who knows how many times he rehearsed it in his head? You can make that change today. God is right there. The prodigal son illustrates to us that God doesn't wait for you to crawl back to him. God doesn't wait and need you to sulk. He's ready today. We have a God who runs. How amazing is that? He runs. While you're still a long way off, he runs. How do you know that someone is coming over the horizon unless you are laser focused, waiting for that head to pop up over that hill so that you can run out to him, right? It says he was a long way off and his father ran to him. And you know, the same is true for the older son. What did the older son say? I'm not going in there. I don't wanna be any part of this celebration. I don't like that son of yours. And what does the father do? He goes outside. He leaves the party. He says, son, I'm begging you. He's your brother. Your story can change. God wants you. Hear it again. God wants you. And I know you have this story playing in your head. I know you've got all the mistakes. You've rehearsed it again and again and again. And you've said all the stories. You've said all the things about how I wish I could do this differently. I wish this could change. I shouldn't have done that. And it plays over and over. And sometimes it happens for years. But your story can change. God will run to you. So make the best decision of your life. Choose devotion as your identity. Let's pray. God, we come before you today and we got people who need to make a choice here today. Because some of us have been wayward. Some of us it's been because... We've chosen selfishness and we've chosen to disobey you, and our priorities aren't aligning with you. We've shifted our core values so much that we don't even know what they are anymore. So, God, they need to hear you, they need to turn. For some of us, we've been coasting for so long that we don't even recognize that our hearts aren't aligned and you're not enough. God, help us to realize that you're more than enough. Help all of us to realize that our story can change. That when we face the difficulties of this world, we have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that in our devotion to you, we know that you're running to us, but we pray that we would also run to you. That we would fall into your arms and trust you, the God who saves, the God who extends grace, who redeems, the God who heals the broken, who feeds the one who is so hungry that he was desperate to eat food from the pigs. You fill us up, God. You want us. And you have a better story for our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.